Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm glad that you have tuned in to the Radio Lighthouse. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Um, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening to the program. We have 90 minutes left in this episode, so go ahead and encourage someone else to tune into That's Truth, to interact with us, and to send in their questions. But that doesn't excuse you. You also are there to send in your questions, and there are a number of ways that you can communicate with us tonight. If this is your first time ever tuning into That's Truth, or maybe it's just been a couple of times, let me encourage you. You can call in with any question. This is a safe place, if you want to call it that, to call. We're not here to belittle you on air. We're here to answer your question from a biblical worldview. What does the Bible have to say about the particular topic or the question that you are calling about? Maybe it's not a question. Maybe it's a suggested topic you'd like discussed in a future episode. We want this program to be as practical as possible. And the best way to do that is to be discussing topics that are close to you, that are on your mind. Maybe that someone asked you at work and you would like Pastor Murphy to expound on it in a future episode. We are we have a couple of questions that have come in, and then we will get to our topic that we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks, and that topic is human artificial insemination. But of course, if you have a question and you ask it before we get to that topic, we will be glad to answer your questions. Pastor Murphy, a question that has come in from a listener the word Christianity, where did that come from? Well, the word Christianity has within it that um, core big root word, Christ. And the first mention of that word Christian is found in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, it's found three different times in the book of Acts. And that gives you an idea of uh, where the word originated. If you look at um, Acts 11.26, and read that for, for me, please, Nathan. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Yeah, because they're followers of Christos, which is the word Christ. Remember that Christos is the word that is used repeatedly in the Gospels. Uh, he's called the Christ because the Christ, the word Christos means anointed, and that was the uh, the Messiah would be the one who would be the anointed one that would come. And so that word was transferred from him to those who were following him. Of course, I think originally it was probably used in derision, 
but eventually it became a word that uh, began to identify with believers. The other part that we find that word in the book is found in Acts twenty six twenty eight. I think most people would, would know that particular passage where Agrippa said, uh, almost thou persuadest me uh, to be a Christian. And clearly uh, Agrippa at that early stage in uh, the New Testament uh, identified uh, Christianity with Christ who Paul was preaching. Paul preached about the resurrection, he spoke about his death, etc., etc., and shared his own testimony. So clearly even the, the king Agrippa uh, identified uh, Christian with, with Christ. And then the other part is found in First Peter chapter 4, verse 16, uh, where Peter talks about if any man suffers a Christian. And uh, again, uh, Peter, remember, first century uh, world, uh, even at that stage, uh, the believers were identified as, uh, as Christians. Uh, I want to quote uh, one of the historians, uh, Roman historians, by the name of Taxidus. And um, he wrote this near the end of the first century, and this is what he said, and I quote from his Annals, volume 15, page 44. He said, The vulgar call them Christians. The author or origin of this denomination, Christos, had, in the reign of Tiberius, been executed by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Clearly he's referring to Christ, and uh, he is connecting uh, Christians and Christianity with uh, Christ. The, 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 you notice that he used the vulgar call them Christians. That's because it was a derisive term. It was not a term of endearment. But by the end of the second, beginning of the second century, uh, it became a word that was accepted by believers and became a title of honor instead of a title of disgrace. So that's where we get the word Christian and Christianity from. Actually, it's the core part of it that comes from Christ. And a Christian is a person who... Uh, whose faith revolves around the person of Christ and the work of Christ and the writings of Christ's apostles. Pastor, in the year 2021, as people are becoming more and more concerned about titles, is there ever a time or a place where we as followers of Christ should maybe avoid using the word Christian in order to be able to build a relationship so that we can then witness to an individual? Well, I, I think it's a deceptive process um, that is used by cults. For example, when the Berlin Wall came down and the uh, Jehovah's Witness went into uh, Eastern Europe, they always pretended that they were a Christian denomination and they never revealed their identity until it was way back, way into the whole process. I don't think that's the right thing to do. There are also some radio programs that you would think that they are Orthodox, Christian, and even Baptist. But again, the sponsors barely give you a little hint. You don't know until... And if you hear some of these preachers, you would think that they're Baptist preachers, but sometimes they're Adventists, and they never really disclose who they are until they're very into the program. I don't think that is a, a decent way of dealing with this matter. I think what really matters in witnessing is to have a good testimony. And I think whether you be um, Baptist or Pentecostal or Lutheran or whoever, I think what really matters is your life. And I think if people recognize that you live your Christianity, I don't think they have a problem with their allowing you to speak to them about the Christian faith. The problem they have is that meeting people who call themselves Christians and the way they live and act is so contrary to the Christian norms that they really don't have any respect or any time to entertain those type of people. But I think if we try to be as godly as possible, live up, what, live up to the standard that Christ requires of us, I, I don't think we need to hide our identity. 
uh, in order to witness to people. Living a godly life, is that what makes me a Christian? Living is, uh, I would say this, the evidence of true, authentic Christianity is the fruit that is seen in the life of a person. So while you're not saved by your good works or by your good life, after a person is converted because of the implanted new nature and dwelling in the Holy Spirit and living under the power of the Word, it has a transformative effect in your life. And I think the the acid test and the empirical test that a person is really an authentic believer is a changed, transformed life. What is it that makes me a saved person? Well, a person is saved by uh, putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, accepting the gospel. So what a person basically needs to do, according to Scripture, is to acknowledge that they are sinners before God, uh, have a sense that they need repentance, and they are willing to turn away from their sins, and they are willing to put their faith and trust in what Christ has done for them on the cross. Uh, salvation is not just about um, coming to church; it's not just about being confirmed. It has to do with an it's an act of faith, where you put your faith in Christ and the finished work of Christ. Didn't remember that the whole thing about the gospel, the whole thing about the uh, salvation, is that Christ died for our sins so that we can be forgiven and we can have his righteousness imputed to us so everything centers around christ and the need for us to uh, repent and put our faith and trust in him the name of the program is that's truth you're listening to the caribbean radio lighthouse the voice that you hear teaching is that of pastor dr david murphy the pastor of grace baptist church here in antigua this is a weekly program and we are here to interact with you to answer your questions from a biblical worldview You can call and be put live on the air. The phone line is open, available, and waiting for you. The number to call to be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather not speak live on the air, that's not a problem. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Maybe you have a question and you're thinking, you know, I really should know the answer to this, and I don't want it associated with me at all. Uh, If you would prefer that we not say what island uh, you are sending the message from or what island you're calling from, uh, just as part of your message, just say anonymous or anonymous listener, and we would be glad to keep that anonymous. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. You can also, on Tuesday evenings when the program is live, you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. You can get the whole package in one. You can listen to the program, watch behind the scenes what goes on, and also type your questions or your comments, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner right there on Facebook Live on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios on this Tuesday evening is 741. We're going to jump into our topic of what is human artificial insemination. It's been a couple of weeks since we defined the topic. So, Pastor, can you just, since we're early on, we have plenty of time, can you just give us a brief overview of what this is and why we're discussing it on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse? Well, um, artificial insemination is just the application of what is done within the the animal world to the human uh, humankind. In other words, rather than going through the natural process of becoming pregnant with, a, with your husband, uh, etc., uh, we choose an artificial means uh, for, for several reasons. The reason why it's important is because um, 
it's becoming increasingly common and the motivation behind it uh, is something that needs to be looked at more carefully and then there's not only just the donation of a sperm from a husband sometimes you've got donors well you don't call it they call them donors but really that you pay for the sperms etc so it's not really donors in such it's free uh, the significance of that in terms of a marriage is, is vitally important and then the people that are born as a result of these uh, artificial means the psychological effect that it has upon them and then uh, what about the biblical standards and the biblical guidelines in relation to uh, um, intimacy sex children etc etc marriage how do these principles interplay with this this man-made way of um, getting children so i think it's important to, to look at those matters last week we were discussing and we left off at the question of why is the demand for artificial insemination increasing and you gave several several reasons but if you can pick up with that yeah well we we talked about the fact that um the for some reason or the other um there's a lot of problems with conception today uh with couples i'm told that one out of six by the way have problems with uh, with, with that matter so it's, it's becoming very serious uh, the fact is that women seem to be becoming more infertile, and we talked about several reasons why that is happening. I'm not going to repeat that. I don't think I need to do that. Uh, we talk about the fact of male impotence, which is becoming a, a very serious problem as well. Um, and um, let's try to find out why this is so. Um, sometimes they talk about the pesticides, the chemicals in the food. They talk about uh, heightened levels of stress that males are faced with, the use of illegal drugs. Uh, the exact reason is not known, but these are so many factors that play into the matrix. So they're trying to understand why this is happening, but it's actually happening. The other thing is that um, uh, people are concerned about the um, transferring of diseases. And now we've got the knowledge where you can... Uh, check on these kind of things and find out if there's going to be any transmitted genetic disease that is passing on. Things like hemophilia or cystic fibrosis or certain forms of muscular dystrophy and uh, also Huntington's choria. Uh, these are things that you can already uh, go to a lab and get these things tested to see if these are, are, are problems with your husband or with your wife. Uh, if these things are discovered that you have people have one of these problems and it can be transferred to uh, genetics uh, people are opting rather than uh, have a child through the husband who has this uh, disease or forms of it they're opting now to use artificial means the other thing uh, Nathan is that uh, men are just, rather than put the onus on women now to tie off the tubes men are now doing vasectomies and to safeguard because uh, they, they don't want any more children but just in case something should happen there's a divorce or the marriage breaks up or whatever it is or they have a change of mind they are now depositing their sperms in sperm banks so that in the future if they have a change of mind or they have to remarry and decide to have a child they can now ref go back to that kind of a situation so that's another reason why these things are, are going on um the other thing is that um, lesbians uh, and uh, are finding artificial insemination um, a popular means rather than going through the process of adoption. 
because the people who are very reluctant to allow a lesbian to adopt their children, especially if it's a girl, because they're going to eventually make her lesbian. Lesbians have to create lesbians in order for the thing to be perpetuated. Same thing with homosexuals. They have to have uh, create homosexuals in order for this thing to be perpetuated. So if the person is a homosexual or a person is a lesbian and they want to adopt, uh, sometimes if people who do not just want this. So what they found is that they can now use sperms to put in one of the ladies, one of the lesbians, and they can have a child. See, so it helps them in that process, and uh, so that is another reason why they why they're currently um, doing it. One director uh, of a sperm bank um, wrote, and I want to just quote what she said. He said, "Women are not only going to control their bodies through abortion, but they will also be able to control when to have children." So this is this is um, this is feminism gone awry and really exercising uh, its its power basically, and virtually saying you know, we now decide when we want a child if we want a child and we no longer depend on a man and he can't dictate to us these kind of things. Um, another uh, lady by the name of uh, Linda uh, Grazan um, of the Le- Lesbians Mothers Defense Fund in, in Seattle, she said these words said, we've had gay men call and offered to be donors. When the father's gay, he may also act as a co-parent. Uh, the child may live sometimes with the man and sometimes with the woman. Uh, this is the kind of moral decay that we're in. Uh, and uh, and it, But it's the, the whole technology is now facilitating a lot of this. And uh, this is why it is something that is growing. The other thing is that single women are also turning to artificial insemination. Uh, uh, one unmarried woman, and I want to quote what she said, she, she gave birth to a seven-pound-old child uh, in Milwaukee, and this is what she said. She said uh, she used artificial insemination because she didn't want a man in her life. And she didn't like the idea of casual sex either. <laughs> so, it wow! Is, what have we come to? Yeah, where have we come to? This is this is why where when science begins to intrude uh, in, in God's domain, where does it end? Where does it stop? See? There might have been good purposes for why this thing has started, but every good thing that is started, it becomes corrupted as people's sinful nature comes into play. Um, the the other thing is those who think their fertility is uh, the time clock is running out as well. They are now uh, finding that before my time run out, I better get a child. I don't have a man, so uh, they, they, they're doing that as well. So those are about seven or eight uh, reasons that why this thing is, is is growing. But the fact is, it it it's, it's becoming very very common. And uh, it's going to be a situation, I think, where Christians are going to be sought advice uh, in terms of what's the biblical view on this kind of a matter. Should we engage in this kind of activity? And there's no doubt that some Christians might even be tempted to go in that direction. Uh, so that's why we've got to at least give some guidance if we can and give some biblical principles if we can to help people who are going to make those kind of decisions. Here's a WhatsApp question that's come from a listener in Antigua along the lines of this subject. Sometimes couples who use in vitro fertilization have leftover fertilized eggs that remain frozen after they complete their desired family size. 
Is it abortion to not use these embryos? And is it okay for a Christian to adopt these embryos for another couple and become pregnant through this means? First of all, uh, this is one of the problems uh, when we talk about the biblical principle. A lot of these eggs that are fertilized, uh, that's not an egg and an ova and a sperm any longer. That's a zygote. In other words, that's a human being. When you get an egg and a sperm come together, you have life that begins as a human being. And quite rightfully, uh, when this is done, uh, a lot of these, a um, um, lot of these zygotes uh, are actually thrown away. So you just select one or two of them, and then the others are discarded. So you're quite right about that. It's an abortive act. Uh, it's just like a woman take it. We would not recommend uh, any Christian to take an abortion pill because what an abortion pill does, it, it's not that it... If it stops the egg and the sperm from meeting, you don't have an abortion. But once the egg and the sperm meets, you have a human being created. And that's where um, that's where life is so vitally important. And, and that's why we are against the idea of the uh, the pill. And, and that's why the American Christians fought back against the morning after pill where these ladies um, for the Catholic ch- Church fought against the government because they were insisting that the Catholic Church would allow by the morning pill for the workers. And of course, believing that life is at conception, they refused to do it. It was taken to court. I think they won the case, but I think this is going to be an ongoing battle because remember that... Uh, look, I, I, C.S. Lewis, the great writer, um, I read a quote in him recently where he said that the evil and the corruption in this world will no longer be done in the dens of iniquity. It be done in boardrooms and in, 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 in parliament with men who have manicure nails and, and, and ties and, and stuff like that. What he's saying is that the real evil is that those are the places where evil is coming from. Yeah. Right? And, and the reason why that is happening, Nathan, is that a lot of these people themselves uh, are homosexuals, they're lesbians, so they, bec- they get elected and they come into a place where they can make laws and now that is exactly what is happening. And the people don't seem to understand that what is happening because these people get together and uh, they can formulate laws and then impose that laws on the majority. That's the dilemma that we find ourselves in within a democracy that people... Ele- and by the way, some of these people don't ever tell you who they are before you elect them. And then once they become elected, then they begin to push through the agenda very, very subtly. But that's where the evil is today. It's being formed in, in Parliament. It's being formed in, in, in government. It's being formed in boardrooms. It's no longer in the dens of a naked prostitute houses. That's not where the evil is coming from today. So the second part of their question is, is it okay for a Christian to adopt these embryos from another couple? Would that be any different than adopting a, a, uh, a child that's already born? That's a very profound question. I hadn't even thought about it, to be very honest with you. Uh, and I really don't have an answer right now. I don't feel, though, that uh, when we begin to look at the reasons why Christians should not go in a certain direction, um, uh, if you look at what marriage is supposed to be and what a family is supposed to be, what a child is supposed to be, uh, to take it like that and implant it in a, in a person, I think you're violating the unity that out of uh, a marriage relationship should come intimacy and sex and children. I think that violates a biblical principle. On the other hand, if it is the destruction of human life, uh, what do we do in a case of trying to preserve that life? So mm-hmm. it puts me in a dilemma because I never looked at that angle before. So maybe I need to give that further thought, but it's a very profound question, very yeah. profound question. 
life gets more and more complex as technology and science allows more and more options. And as man intrudes in the domain where we should leave God's sovereignty, and that's where we should be. If God creates life and children are a gift from God, if he doesn't give uh, a child, and and there must be a reason, he's the one that opens the womb and shuts the womb. That's what the Bible says. But the problem today is that because we have allowed science to go, like to help us in other areas of, of medicine, uh, we have now almost given the liberty to intrude in, into the area of, of our sexuality and, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so along those lines, if I, God forbid, but let's say that the doctor tells me that I'm diagnosed with uh, cancer uh-huh. and I have the option of pursuing treatment, which should be effective and, Uh Lord willing, spare my life for a number of years, or I can choose to not follow that treatment and just let cancer take its route, and obviously at some point I'll pass away. How is that any different than uh, saying I'm not going to let science uh, and medicine advancements uh, be used. To well, there's a fine line. Let, let, let's be very honest with you. Uh, honest that um, scientific invasion into those areas have created a lot of complex problems, a lot of ethical problems. Something that we have to uh, think about and, and uh, come up with some kind of biblical answers. But there is, there is a difference there where uh, you're actually dealing with the very beginning of life. It's not as though you've got life already. The preservation of life is what doctors are about. As well, the Hippocratic Oath is basically that you preserve life. That's why uh, I can't understand why doctors would commit abortion because yeah. they swear to an oath to protect life and enhance life. It's not. A, it's not about. They didn't swear oath to create life. And creation, uh, creative life is is really not within man's domain. But I think that everybody knows that man always oversteps his boundary. The question is, where do you put parameters and you put restrictions where man can go? Where do we go from here? We can collect artificial people. Now, I p- take the country like China, for example, where there are no moral principles. It's a communist country. There's no God. I can see them creating uh, clones of human beings. I-, I would not be surprised if they've already done it. But I can see as they advance in technology and they're growing very, very fast. I can see a lot of things that they can do that we in the West cannot do because we're still harnessed by certain moral principles. But it- it's frightening where we're headed without any restraints on science. And the, because we've got a lot of scientists who have gone away from God as well, it's not like in the old days these men were trying to discover the laws of God to see what, because they believe in a God of laws and a God of order and a God of design. So when they did biology or chemistry, was designed, what, what are those laws that God created? So it wasn't designed to intrude on God's area. It's just to discover the laws that God had, had created. Time across the Eastern Caribbean <clears throat> is 7.57. We still have an hour left in the program. And we are looking forward to, in fact, I'll go ahead and thank you in advance for your interaction and for your questions. Your question doesn't have to be on this topic of human artificial insemination. It can be about any topic. Maybe it's something that a family member asked you about at a family get-together or over WhatsApp this past week, and you're not really sure how to answer it. Go ahead and give us a call. 268-462-7420 is to be put live on the air. And you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454, and we'll be glad to answer it from a biblical worldview. 
Or you can also go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed and comment your question there through that medium. Again, we have one hour left, so go ahead and encourage others to tune in, whether it's a family member, whether they're just in the other room of your house, or whether they are on another continent. Encourage them to listen 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, or online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program, as I just mentioned, we are also on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page with Facebook Live. Pastor Murphy, as we continue this topic How does the issue of artificial insemination relate to surrogate motherhood? Well, men have been putting aside their sperms so they can be used in the future. Women have decided, well, we've got to get in on this act too. And they're now renting out their wounds so that uh, a person, a couple who cannot, uh, for some reason, the wife is not able, uh, for whatever reason, to, to conceive, there are now women making themselves available where the wife can have the sperm of her husband implanted. It's almost like you rent in a womb. You implant his um, um, sperm, uh, or you can do it outside, whatever it is, and implant it. But then the person carries the child to full birth. So it's the actual child of the husband and wife. Yes, yeah, yeah. Actual child, in another, another woman's, woman's womb. That's what you call it. That's a okay. surrogate mother. And this is this is frightening, to be very honest with you. So people are now realizing that this is a new source of revenue. Uh, this is a, uh, you think about that for just a moment. Um, I want to read um, uh, uh, in the Boston Globe. Uh, this is an ad for a uh, childless couple. A childless couple, wife unable to conceive, looking for a female who would volunteer to be artificially inseminated with semen of her husband, and then give child uh, a couple to couple. All responses confidential. All expenses paid. Kindly direct uh, responses to, and they gave the name of the, the attorneys. Basically, this is something that now that is opening a new a new domain. Uh, the ethics of that to think about uh, is, is is very very serious. Um, so when these children are born uh, and you begin to discuss how they came into existence, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, the psychological effect on, on them that know that they came out of a rented womb uh, could be very very devastating. Uh, so it's it's frightening, and, and then again it goes back to the biblical principle of marriage sex, intimacy, and children. There is a unified um, principle there that the children should come from a marriage out of intimacy, etc., etc. There's no biblical warrant for a, a, a husband's sperm or a, mother, a husband's zygote between a husband and wife put in another person. We're now going in a realm that there's no... There's no uh, where, do you, where do you draw a line in that regard? The, uh, so it, it's frightening when it when that, that, that thing begins to happen, um, but it's now a new means of um, income. Let me just read another thing, if I may. A lady called Jacqueline Burkhart, a nursing student in Portland State University. She placed an ad in a newspaper offering to rent her womb for $1,500. Uh, she saw it as a good opportunity to pay off her school school bill etc etc so where are we where are we going where are we going uh, you know where, where are we headed in this this kind of matter and don't forget that a woman that gives birth to a child it transforms her body 
uh, she's never the same again in the sense she won't get body fat. So even if she was an attractive person, the mere fact that she's gone through that process, she may never ever return to the point where uh, she has the appeal that somebody... So it has consequences not only for her in, in the long term. But I, I think that we are going outside the pale of um, the restrictions God has placed on the home and the marriage and uh, children. And I think that man is beginning to play God and we're going to get into more confusion and more confusion and more. And we're going to be happy dealing with people like this in the future. I may not be wrong, you may not be wrong, but imagine people like this coming to the church to find out final answers. What do I do? Who am I? I mean, we're creating a psychological world of total confusion. We're not going to help people. We're going to create a... a, 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 a it's frightening. When you but think couldn't you say that we already have some very serious psychological effects just from the infidelity in society, uh, children born out of wedlock, rape? So isn't this a little better because you, you're actually a husband and a wife are wanting a child mm-hmm. and they're, they're going to have a good home for the child? Well, again, uh, we're adding, with all that we've got, do we want to add more confusion? Do we want kids to really wonder, uh, you know, was this right? Was it cause design that I be here? I mean, you talk about complicated issues that you, a person could have to struggle with in life, and they might even use that as an excuse. Right now, they're using the environment as the excuse for doing what they do. It's my environment that made me who I am. Think of the people using the idea that uh, the, the wound I came out of, whatever it is, I was not wearing my mother's womb. Whatever. You could see people using that. So if today they're using the environment as a basis for human um, crime, for example, that's what they blame today. It's, it's the, either the state, it's either the home life, it's either the, the community. Uh, so that people are being absolved of responsibility because of the choices they make, because these are the things that they look at. I can see that this complicates the matter even further and give people a, a greater excuse for um, ex- explaining why they do what they do. So it doesn't help the situation, it exacerbates the situation. Pastor, moving on to the next question, what impact, and you've referenced this a number of times, what impact can this method of birth have on a child and also what impact can it have on the future family? Well, for one thing, it uh, it reduces the male population by at least 1%, whatever significance that is. In other words, when you go through this artificial thing, more women and girls are born than men are born. So there is a significant decrease in terms... Well, I said 1% may not be too much, but it does affect the male population ratio, okay? okay. That so is something ex- that... Explain that again, because my brain's a little bit slow here today. <laughs> no, I'm saying the incident of births when they go through this process, there are more females born than male. Oh, so okay. what I'm saying is that you have a, a, a trickle sense, effect, right? Right, and already you hear people saying you don't have enough males. That's why there's so many women who are not married. So I don't. I'm not sure we help in the situation. We go in this direction, okay? Uh, the other thing is that Dr. Herbert Horn in 1979 um, did uh, some investigation of the impact upon couples, especially the man uh, when the child was born, not through his. Um, his sperm, but a donor donated. Uh, he pointed out that it can lead to unhappiness uh, on the part of the husband. He said it, uh, it may have even a negative effect on the on the marriage, and it affects the health, have, uh, the husband's relationship with the child. Uh, another study was done 35 years later uh, in 2014 by a woman called uh, Karen Clash 
and Elizabeth Marquette. They did a study on uh, uh, 15 to 45-year-olds who were conceived through this method. And what they uh, discovered, the effects it had on these people, she said uh, the offspring, they were hurting more, they feel more confused, uh, they felt more isolated from their families than children who were adopted, they had a tendency to practice uh, substance abuse, uh, they had mental health problems, and nearly half uh, interviewed agreed that it was better to adopt than to be uh, born out of a, a sperm from a donor. So these are people who have actually been born, and these are the kind of things that is, 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 is the kind of effect that they're having on them. So it's not a. It might solve one problem, but it seems as though it adds a lot more problems than normal. Um, the the other thing is that the problem between the husband when the child when the child is born out of a donor in his mother's in his wife's womb is that uh, it's a constant reminder of the husband of his failure and uh, also and uh, is the shadow of what they call an anonymous third party and uh, that seemed to have come between him and his wife that 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 um, becomes a problem between the the, the couple so. Those are some of the, the, the issues. Um, the other one, uh, Nathan, is the possibility of incest. Uh, I think I mentioned in, oh, some time ago that one guy, uh, um, 150 people were born out of his sperm. They didn't keep adequate records. So if you've got uh, a guy that um, donated his sperm every week, he could be producing dozens of children. The question is, uh, without proper records, these people meet twenty years down the line. They may be married for the same. They might be brother and sister married. Yeah. <laughs> it could be, you know, it's a very, very serious problem. Uh, so that is another thing that people need to look at um, when you, you're talking about using the, these donors. So those are some of the problems and some of the issues that are involved in this matter. It not only affects the child, affects the the, 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 uh, the people who are engaged in this matter, and then the repercussions of uh, incestuous marriages and relationships. A WhatsApp question from Antigua. Good night. Should a single woman adopt the child if she is financially capable? Is this going against God's design for the family? A single woman? No, I, I think if a single woman uh, wants a child, and uh, I see nothing wrong in adoption there. Uh, you remember, look, we've got to take care of the, the Bible says, true religion on the files before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows. And one of the ways of caring for people who are orphans, if a person has means, uh, there's nothing uh, that I see would prevent a person. However, I would say this, because you have the means doesn't mean you're capable of handling a child and that you can ha exercise the discipline that's required to handle a child. Normally a child needs both a mom and a dad in order to bring it to a, a, a girl needs a father, uh, a boy needs his mother. It's so real. So it doesn't mean because you're single and you have the means to do it that you should pursue uh, that. I would think that um, there are other factors that need to be looked at. You 
planning to get married in the future, for example, or you think that God has asked you, or maybe you're naturally a celibate type of a person, that has to be factored into, because if you adopt a child now, and 10 years down the line you get married, and you find that your husband uh, can't handle the child, because, uh, and this is very strange, it can happen, uh, it's not his, why should he put up with the trouble of somebody else's child? So I, it's, while there's nothing biblically wrong with it, I think there are other factors to be considered rather than just the fact that you're maturely in a position where you can adopt a child. Uh, it might be that you could actually take care of a child without going through the process of adoption. And if later, uh, if you decide to get married, uh, your husband finds that that is, uh, you know, he, he, he can't handle it, well, then you can probably... T- um, turn the child back over again, but you can take care of the child without going through the process of adoption. Very interesting question, thought-provoking. Time across the Eastern, 811. You can call and be put live on the air, ask your question on any topic, and the phone line is open and available, and the number to call is one 462 7420 Again, live on the air, 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782 for a text. Pastor, let me flip that around and say, what about a single man mm. in that situation is financially capable and is desiring to adopt a child? Again, I, my same, my same uh, concept there. Um, there's no biblical principle that says he can't do it. But again, can he handle the child? Uh, having the financial means of handling it doesn't mean he's capable of handling the child. The other thing is, is he is he um, celibate? Because he's born celibate, he doesn't intend to get married. Does he intend to get married? Um, what if the wife? Again, my my recommendation in a case like that would be uh, take care of the child, but don't go through the process of using adoption records or legal process so that if anything happened in the future and you intend to get married, it doesn't work. There's a, a way out. But to, to put yourself in that dilemma and then find that to your dismay that a person say, I would marry you if you didn't have a child, whatever it is, I think you create unnecessary problems for yourself. The child could still be cared for without going through the legal process. And if that is possible, that would be an avenue. The other thing is, it's a male. I would not recommend a, a man adopting a girl. You know, uh, there are too many things and so many things I've heard about. Uh, you remember that one in every four women have been abused at some point in time sexually. Mm. So when you get that kind of a situation, there's a very real reality there, and that was something that need to be thought very carefully in that matter. So that would be my that would be my put my point. Uh, Nathan, I want to say something here if I want to enjoy. Let me show the dilemma that has been created now because we've moved away from what the family is. I do not think that any homosexual should be able to adopt a boy or a girl. I don't think any lesbian should be able to adopt a child. Okay, they But that's their human rights, Pastor. That's my point. And, and this is where the, the, the politicians have to bear in mind. If you don't define the family, yeah. right, you open a door that you can't shut. So that's why in law you define what a family is, right? If you say a family is made of a husband and a wife and children, now you can put regulations on people who... That, that's not a family. Uh, two peop- people... Mar- but the, the dilemma that we, they face with it, that we claim to be Christian countries in the Caribbean, at least in name. But we, we are moving away from the principles that make us Christian. I think we should be called Christian democracies or something if we really were serious about the whole matter. But because we move away from biblical truth, and the, the, the thing that has to be defined at some point in time is that uh, 
rights and who does rights all I mean, can everybody can anybody just marry anybody now uh, if you don't define what marriage is this pushing on rights uh, creates problems because if everybody can marry and everybody can do this same thing what's, what's a male if we don't define what a male and what a female is we're in trouble in the future as you can see and the other thing is uh, Nathan is that the I don't understand why the women are not up in arms against this transgender thing because they're the ones going to suffer more especially in athletics etc etc they're already discovering that by the way I think the they discovered that, uh, I think I might have mentioned this, that the two Williams girls who did tennis greats, yeah. they would never be tennis greats if they were transgender today because the I think the last, the the, the 25th uh, guys that played in, in, like in, in tennis who were down 25 or 28 beat, beat them. So these are men that <laughs> there's no competition whatsoever. So when you put a man now in a woman's body, basically, and... Um, or pretending to be a woman's body, he's competing with a woman. I don't see why in the world the women don't understand that they are the ones that are going to be disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who should be speaking out and this kind of thing. And they have a voice that, believe you me, when it begins to, to echo, people listen. But they seem to be so mute on this matter. And I think in the long term, they're going to pay an awesome price uh, for, for this silence and this muteness. On this topic of a single person adopting a child, Pastor, couldn't you use the philosophy that in God's perfect uh, plan, in order to have a family, in order to have a child, you have to have a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. So therefore, if we are bypassing that and having a single single man or a single woman adopting a child, even though it may be an orphan, a child that needs attention, that we're twisting God's original design for the well, family? Well, that's one way of looking at it. The other way, too, Nathan, to look at it is it's really, what's the purpose of it? Okay. Uh, if you're trying to give a child a, a life uh, purpose, you're trying to meet the needs of a child to make sure he doesn't become uh, a delinquent, whatever it is, it, it is better, I think, that we reach out to him and where are we going to put them? Government home, where they don't get the kind of treatment they should get, and they produce the criminals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They can't get that special attention that's needed within a private home. But again, this is one of the areas where I, I call it the, the gray areas, and I think everybody should operate on the basis of conscience. When the Bible does not speak on a matter explicitly, uh, one's conscience should guide them in this matter, as is informed by the Word and, of course, the indwelling Spirit. So now the question that I've been looking forward to asking you throughout this whole topic as we've been discussing human artificial insemination is how should a Christian view this practice and are there some biblical principles to guide our understanding of the topic? Well, there's several principles I'd like to draw to your attention, maybe six or seven of them. Uh, One has to do with the sanctity of life. Uh, I don't think we can get away with that. What do you mean by that? Uh, all human beings are created in the image of God, and therefore they have dignity, they have worth, and they have value. Okay. And uh, this should be a, a primary concern. In Psalms 39, it's clear that God takes special care of the child even in the womb. Okay. So <clears throat> one of the things that we need to understand that uh, when we engage in this activity, um, there are sanctity of life is threatened in several ways. Number one, the potential loss of fetal life in the sense that uh, when you, when you um, 
do it outside the body when you a lot of these eggs are fertilized so we actually talk about destroying human beings basically so that's one thing that needs to be looked at okay it's not that you uh, invert a fertilizer that doesn't mean that you just get one sperm and one egg that's not how it works there's several uh, that are done and then you select the, the best of them and then you discard the others that's serious matter you're, you're tampering with the sanctity of life now you're you're saying that you can decide who to live and who not to live you're playing God now to my mind that's a major problem with this 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 this, this issue okay um, the other thing is that when they fertilize the ova if it appears to be uh, abnormal uh, because it can still check that again they destroy it so here again in, in a different way now it's not known that you're doing it and but now you implanted it and then you discover there's something wrong and then you destroy it again you bring in the whole question of sanctity and the worth of human life because you're destroying human life that's another factor that's involved and then uh, the 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 um, the clinical use of embryos to research uh, it's another area that is, 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 is very, very concerning because, and by the way, <clears throat> America stopped this when it was first attempted to experiment on embryos. And it was uh, Clinton uh, administration in 1990 that gave permission to do research uh, on the embryo up to 14 days. Okay? So the Americans... Uh, morality clearly was against the idea of tampering with human beings no that has all changed see? and I don't know where it's going to end uh, but that is something very very serious now because you're taking you're playing again with a human being as an embryo do you have a right to do that and this is experimentation or you ex experiment on pigs and dogs and sheep and rats and so on and so forth uh, what about the morality of that Okay, and then after you've done the experimentation, again you discard it. That's another matter. The other thing is about uh, the biblical view of sexual relations and sexual intimacy, and the whole idea of children, love, and sex is a unified concept that is a bond. And now to inject artificial in, in, uh, um, reproduction in this whole matter, it uh, it takes this unified concept and it actually separates it and one wonders does man have a right to intervene in that area where God has unified this whole concept that you have love marriage intimacy sex children it's a unified whole and uh, where, why, why does, does man have a right now to break up that unity that God has already in his plan that's another concept that needs to be borne in mind as Christians and then the principle of parenthood um the parent is the one who gives birth to the child. So if you rent out a wound, really in truth and fact, who owns the child? Hmm. Right? Uh, uh, and children always belong to the one that gives birth to the child in, in the Bible. That's another concept. And that seems to me to violate motherhood, the, the whole concept of motherhood, uh, when you have a surrogate person performing that role and yet you are the mother that in some way destroys the concept of motherhood as God intended it okay that is another principle that needs to be uh, and then the other one that is very very serious in my judgment is the idea of uh, the concept of God's sovereignty um, let's look at a few verses of scripture if you don't mind uh, look at Genesis chapter 20 well look at 1 Samuel 1 5 
First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 5 says, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Okay. Look at Psalm 127 verse 3. Psalm 127, verse 3. And verse 3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So he is the one that gives. Okay? And then look at Isaiah 66, verse 9. Isaiah 66, verse 9. That says, Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut up the womb, says thy God? The whole idea is that God is the one that brings forth, or he don't bring forth. In other words, he's sovereign in that respect. And I think that we need to respect that aspect of it, that God is sovereign. And I think that couples need to see that. If God has, um, I don't think that you need a donor. I don't think you need a surrogate womb. I think that uh, it is possible that if a person, a, a couple, uh, who a Christian who find that is not going through the normal process, I would not be adverse for a husband and wife to um, have his sperm implanted in his wife because that doesn't violate the principle of a marriage and the unity that is there. So I wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, but it's where you're using a, a, a surrogate womb, a rent room, that's where, womb, that's where I would have a problem. But I think the whole idea of the sovereignty of God is 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 a, one of the key factors in my judgment that Christians need to take very seriously if they find that they're not given. The other thing, Nathan, there there are other options that people can look at. There's the option of um, adoption, and there's also a surprise late pregnancy that that uh, I've known of people in their late forties who've had. Uh, very strange. Suddenly they have a child. You got to look at that as well. Um, the other thing is that the a childless couple, uh, in a real sense, can do things that people with children can't do. And not for the Lord, no. I mean, they can go places, take risks that and uh, that that might open a, a dimension that was is not there for the ordinary person. So that is a possibility in terms of a resource that's available to be used of God in ways that the the person was not married. And then, of course, the other thing, Nathan, is uh, the matter of prayer and wait. Uh, you know, um, Hannah prayed for how long? But she kept praying and kept praying until her important prayer eventually God said, I'm going to give you a child. So um, these are some of the other options rather than trying to go to the artificial means. I think that that is what needs to be looked at as well. Could you take the principles that we see in, I believe it's the book of Genesis, where Sarah says to Abraham, go and have a child by Hagar, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, that caused chaos and that this could possibly also cause chaos by having a so-called surrogate uh, mother? Yeah. Well, the other thing that we need to remember that the narrative that's given in the Bible is just a narrative. It doesn't mean that God either proved, God has recorded exactly what Abraham did, okay? The reason people don't understand that, people think because everything in the Bible means that God approved it. That's not the case. Uh, God has recorded, the, the, he's telling you exactly what Jacob did, what Moore did, what uh, Joseph did. And he, it, it's not that everything they did, that he sanctioned it, you know. Uh, I like to say that because the, the practice um, there that was practiced by Abraham was something that was a social practice back in those days. 
I couldn't have a child and then I can have children through my maids. Uh, but again, you look at the confusion that that created in the case of Abraham. Um, so clearly that's a problem. But we must not use the Old Testament uh, practice as a standard for New Testament principles because they didn't have the full light of what we have today. And uh, so we got far more light than they had. And to revert back to an old system of under the economy of law rather than follow the biblical principles within the New Testament covenant, I think it's one of the grave mistakes that we would make uh, as believers, and we don't want to go down that lane. Pastor, earlier in the episode, you referenced that it was okay to use this technology on animals, rats, or livestock, but it's not okay on humans. What makes you so confident that you're special beyond the human kind? I mean, beyond the uh, the animal kind? Now, I, I, let me just point out this. I'm not suggesting that uh, artificial insemination is not cannot be should not be practiced in any case I'm just saying when it comes between a man's sperm and planting his wife I don't have a problem with that because that's that's the whole concept of two becoming one she can't have a science there is a fine line between where we go but science is something that we can use and we've been using to help humankind in a case like that you're creating helping with life you're not trying to destroy life in, in a case like that okay so I would not be adverse for that kind of thing but where you have a problem is where you have artificial donors people who rent and people who rent out their wounds I think that is totally unscriptural and totally unbiblical right? but why is it okay for let's say a racehorse owner to collect the sperm from from his <laughs> prize horse and then to sell it to others, but it's not okay for humans. What's the difference between well, there's, animals there's and humans? A, there's, a, there's a clear distinction between animals and human beings. No animal is made in the image of God, for sure, right? So it's not as though uh, the, we can't treat an animal on the same level as humankind. That's why we can experiment on animals, but we can't experiment on human beings because human beings are unique. They are the very epitome of God's creation. Uh, that would be the only biblical answer to give that man is made in the image of God in and in that's why the way by the way an animal will kill another animal and God doesn't demand it's necessarily its life but if a man kills another man deliberately God said uh, his life should be taken and I believe in that I think it, any man that has premeditated killing another person he ought to be uh, forfeit his life uh, accidental uh, killing or manslaughter is something completely different and the Bible makes a distinction there but man is a unique creation of God and he's not an animal like the, the, the ordinary animal he bears the image of God and therefore God has made this distinction between man and the animals it's an interesting question that's come in from a listener here in Antigua, Pastor Murphy, what are your views on sex education in the school? I think the best place for sex education is in the home. And I think if it's not in the home, the church. I have a problem with it in the school, right? Um, I do some counseling. I don't want to say too much. But when I ask questions like, when did you first, because I have a form that when people are having problems in that area, they have to fill out certain information. One of the things I want to know is, when did you first learn about sex? When did it first happen? What what were the experience like? Uh, I've found out very frequently that people tell me that they learn of it in school. And I'm shocked, totally, totally shocked. Um, I am not for sex education in the school. I am for sex education in the home. And I think if the government wants the uh, proper, because here's the problem, Nathan, you, can't, you should never teach sex education apart from morality. You should have moral 
principles that guide sexual sex uh, teaching of sex education. And to my mind, uh, the church or the home is the best place for that to be done. Uh, if the government would like pastors to come in, if they're going to teach it, and they want pastors to come in and teach it or, or whatever, or maybe wives from wives deal with women and the you know, pastors' wives, or people in good standing in the church or good Christian women good I don't see any reason why they should have a problem I think every Christian who is mature and is concerned about the um, the sexuality in the, going on and the immorality would be willing to volunteer sometimes mature women who are married and been Christians for a number of years they can sit down with these ladies and young girls in, in, in school and have some sessions with them it, within a moral context and a spiritual context but the idea of these uh, teachers who are not Christians, who have no morals whatsoever, teaching children, I have a serious problem with it. Serious problem. Is there... Uh, Could I say something else? Yeah, go ahead. I think sometimes that the way to start arouses Mm -hmm. the curiosity, right? And I think that's where the dilemma comes in in the whole whole matter. You know, they're concerned that the children don't commit immorality, but by the time they go into sex education, show them this and show them the next, without any uh, control and 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 where where do you draw the line? What do you show them? What do you tell them? Uh, without any moral parameters, put yourself. You're 13 or 14, and you're being taught that in school. Just think of the little pictures that were would make you almost go crazy. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting live presentation and people telling you this with it in moral context. I think it is destroying. I don't think it's helping the situation one bit. If you are a Christian parent mm-hmm. and you know that your child is sexually promiscuous, is it ever appropriate to? as they're headed out the door on the way to their date, uh, hand them a condom and say, just in case? Absolutely not. The Bible said, make no provision for the flesh. And that's exactly what people do uh, if you're given a condom, uh, you know, just in case. You're making provision for the flesh. You're creating an environment like that. Look, I find that if you have high expectations for your kids, they try to come up to that level. If you have low expectations, you're going to get that. I don't think that's the answer one bit, right? Uh, and I think Christians need to be very, very careful as far as these things are concerned. But I think I, I don't think the government, Nathan, to answer that, has really tapped into the resource of the church. Um, whether it be teaching, for example, uh, I know that they've got religious knowledge in schools. I don't think they've tapped in. They hire teachers and stuff. I'm past. I would be willing to come in and and, and do co- uh, thing with, with, with teach children with, with that kind of stuff. Uh, same thing with uh, if if they're teaching it, I would not be adverse to volunteering without even they wouldn't even have to pay uh, uh, teachers to do this kind of a stuff. And they could take that money and use it other places. But they'd be taught within a moral context and a biblical context, and from an abstinence context as well. I am sure it's not being taught in the schools in that direction. We are just creating this curiosity with these kids. And I think it's actually hurting rather than helping the situation. So you think that if it was, if morality and biblical morality was taught in conjunction with uh, sex ed in the schools, that society would be better off? I think it would be more helpful. Uh, look, when I was a boy, uh, a lot of things um, we used to have in every morning devotions in school. And this was a. a, a a secular school, no, no, no Christian, but we had devotion. You know, I, I will tell you this, Nathan, there's sometimes when they're playing songs in the church, and I remember when I was singing those songs back in school, there is a connection there that, you know, not that the children are going to be perfect, but train up a child the way she goes, she shall not depart. S- those truths come back 
to haunt you eventually and bring you back to reality. And I think that is where the, the failure of teachings purely from a secular point of view uh, is really robbing children of the possibility of moral restraints uh, that if, if it's not now, sometime in their life, it will help them in that process. A WhatsApp question from Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it in. Is it sinful for a married couple who is capable of having children to decide to not have any due to financial reasons? For example, the wife is a stay-at-home traditional wife, whereas the husband is the breadwinner, and he only makes enough to feed both his wife and himself but can't take on the added responsibility of a child. What are your thoughts, Pastor? When I look at what marriage, the purpose of marriage in the book of Genesis, this is what I discover. First of all, marriage is for companionship, okay? Marriage is for the couple complement each other as well. Marriage is for children. Uh, You can't erase that. I would not marry a person that came to me and said, Pastor, we want to get married, but we don't want any children. Find somebody else to marry you. I would not marry a person like that because children is part of the process of of, of marriage. And that clearly is scriptural. Uh, So uh, to answer the question, that is a matter between the two of them. But I think that the the conscience should bother them a little bit. And by the way, because of mothers at home, that doesn't mean uh, she can't generate income. I mean, you could do a thousand things at home these days that would generate even more income than your husband. I mean, if you've got a skill where you can bake well, you can do pizza, you can do something like that. Um, You sew or online. You just talk about, oh, that opens a whole new Pandora. That's where I think a lot of women should concentrate on more than going out into the workplace because that's where infidelity is, okay? Uh, there's more infidelity in the workplace than any other place at all. So when your wife goes out to work, uh, you're actually making her vulnerable. So there are lots of things you can do, be done at home. So I don't think that's an excuse to be very honest with you. WhatsApp question from St. Kitts Nevis. I agree with Pastor's statement about not teaching it in the school, I'm assuming, sex ed. However, I recalled a pastor who taught family life and told the students it was okay to masturbate. What is your comment, Pastor? I heard one guy that told, uh, we had a guy from Jamaica here that uh, we had a conference with him. I almost walked out when he when he, he said that. Um, I was so embarrassed to think that here is a person who is supposed to be uh, apparently, he is a, a professor of apologetics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, beside the point. But to recommend that uh, people uh, do that—that that is totally unethical. It's wrong. It's immoral. Sex is never to be self-focused, and that's what masturbation is. Okay, it's wrong. It's evil. Uh, God has a release mechanism that both release the, the male and the female. It's called nocturnal emission for a male, and of course the woman has a period. That is God's uh, way of releasing sexual tension. But to suggest that a person, uh, because of that, they go to a... Uh, you, uh, they, they, number one, it, it's, it causes the imagination, and actually I think it's an act of adultery because most fellows who are engaged in that kind of thing is probably imagining some person that they know, maybe a girl in the classroom or whatever it is. So that's the same thing our Lord condemned when he said, if you look on a woman to lust after her. But what if you're only thinking of your spouse? I've heard people make this argument. <laughs> well, listen, uh, if you look at what the Bible considers to be uh, sex, it's between a man and a woman. It's not for you to be uh, actually, uh, it's not to be focused on yourself, and that's what you're actually doing. Uh, so there's no biblical basis 
for for this. It is wrong, and I don't think there's any excuse for it whatsoever. Uh, Howbeit, it is it's very very common among males. No question about that. But it's not something to be encouraged. Uh, the other thing, by the way, is that Nathan, this is it might be surprise you that I have counseled cases where, uh, quite frankly, um, that's the problem. The man gains greater satisfaction through that than with his wife and I'm shocked to be honest with you I, I can't find it but that's ha- that happens and then uh, that puts a strain on their relationship of course it puts on the relationship it's bound to put a strain on the relationship uh, so uh, it's not scriptural it's not biblical it's wrong and uh, it's not it's immoral and uh, that pastor that did that did a great disservice to those young men because what he should have been teaching them is self-discipline and self-control and perhaps getting them to um, do athletics, uh, burn off some of that energy, whatever it is, but to actually get their mind focused on that, they, they, that, that clearly seemed to me to be very atrocious that the pastor would do that. So we want this program to be as practical mm-hmm. as possible, and that's why we choose to talk about some of these topics you just referenced the fact that there are cases where the husband uh, will uh, self-satisfy or masturbate, and that puts a strain on the relationship. If a husband or wife find themselves, are listening, and find themselves in that situation, Pastor, how do they get out of it? How do they get to the proper model of a healthy relationship well, per the Bible? Well, look, uh, one of the things I would say is that the person has to be confronted as, um, somehow in this matter, and the wife has to be very, very honest, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But remember that a habit takes a while to break. It takes at least six weeks before you can really normally break a habit. And, you, you know, again, there is a... I don't want to say that, but when you're dealing with those kind of things, you have to find out... Um, well, you, you take a daily record of, of, of a whole month, to find out um, when when this happens, what are the circumstances that happens? Is it when I'm alone? Is it when I'm watching a movie? You know, unless you understand the pattern, you may not even realize that this is what is stimulating this interest. So until you've done some kind of uh, a matrix of, 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 a, of a month or two to get an idea of, of to see if there's any association between an event or a circumstance that leads you in this direction. Let's suppose it's when you are uh, in the car alone by yourself or whatever it is. Again, you can then begin to uh, talk about uh, change in, in, in how you do things, where you do things, et cetera, et cetera. But without having an idea of what the pattern is that is creating this and when it happens, it becomes very hard to know how to deal with it. So it requires some help in terms of the person logging when this happens and then to find out at that time what was going on, whatever it is, so that they can see that there's a pattern there that develops in that, in that manner. But the other thing to Nathan is that you've got to renew your mind. Because normally, if that is the situation, you have a mind problem, and the only thing that will put uh, clean up your mind is the Word of God. So you get into the yeah. Word. Prayer is an important part of that as well. But I would think as well, and somebody holding you accountable that you trust to help you go through that difficult period of that six week dealing with that matter, uh, and uh, but help has to be offered, and people have to find help because if it continues, it the situation worsens. And when a partner's needs are not being met, chances are they're tempted to go outside the relationship. And that creates another problem that should not have been there. Pastor, 
for the couple that whatever the topic may be, or maybe it's just a family, not necessarily a couple, that is considering or realizing, you know what, we may be at that point where we need to go for counseling, whatever the topic may be. Is counseling successful? What depends on whether counseling is successful? Uh, any words of advice or encouragement to encourage people to go seek help? Yeah. Look, counseling is successful if it goes beyond talk. Okay. Okay. One of the things that counselors have to understand is not just listening to the problems and, and so you have to be able to look at the problem and come up with some kind of a strategy or some kind of activity that relates to that so that people have to do homework. I don't mean written homework. Sometimes you give them a Bible study like communication. Uh, there's so much in Bible study. So you might let them do a, in their own devotions together. Look at these Bible verses and see what Bible talks about communication. It's about mor- morality. Get them to look up the verse what the Bible says. So that way they, they're informed as far as that is concerned. But then there are other things that have to be done. That's only this. That is the, I don't want to say theoretical part of it. It's the practical part of it. So take an example where the wife stops cooking or she stops doing breakfast or he stops, um, he stops hugging her or something like that. You have to, again, get her back into that. From this week on, you start back breakfast. Well, she's not going to like it the first day, the second day. You just do it, remember, six weeks. Then you've got to get, when she's doing her part, he has to be doing his part, hug her. You have a kiss, whatever it is. So when you get, he's doing his part, and she be, there's something transformative about that. That that's why the Bible. That's why I tell people this: God has made us in such a way that when our behavior changes and our attitude changes, our feelings change. We can't change. We can't massage feelings. We can only have feelings changed by behavior and attitude will change. And once there's a behavioral change, attitude will change. God has wired us, and I have said this before: if that were not so. There's no way you can ever solve people's emotions and the, the, the feelings, etc. But that's how God has made us. He's wired us that way. And that's why the, the, he said, if your enemy hungry, what? Feed him, right? So if somebody hates you, it might take a while. But if you are honest and you are kind and you are thoughtful and you are you do that consistently, sooner or later that person will be like, you know what? This person is really seriously trying to reach out to me. And the attitude changes. But without behavioral change and attitudinal change, you can't change feelings. A question that's coming from a listener. Pastor, do you think it's right for schools to give students condoms saying that they will have sex anyway so it's just a precaution? I think it's atrocious, atrocious that they would do that. I think it is... As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure if it's legal to do that. I think that's a case of I was a lawyer, take that case up. To be honest with you, unfortunately, I'm not a lawyer. But those are the kind of things I think we need to fight against rather than accept that this is a thing that a government can do or a ministry of education can do or, or whatever. Uh, this is clearly, clearly, clearly wrong. Um, and uh, I understand the rationale behind it, but I think it more encourages people to involve, get involved in immorality than to restrain them. We need to teach people ab- abstinence. We need to give them the whole story why abstinence is the best way. Uh, Do you it, really, in your heart, believe that abstinence is doable and practical in the year course. 2021? <laughs> of course. Look, it was. Look, Joseph in mm-hmm. Genesis. I don't know of anybody who will ever face temptation like he did. I mean, there's a woman who's available, willing, ready. Bedroom there, everything. Nobody there, nobody. It's the boss's wife. What delight and pleasure we get. But 
how can I do this great wickedness in the sight of God? Yeah. That was the key thing that restrained him. Of course it is, uh, Nathan. It's, if it weren't, by the way, the Bible would be worth would not be worth anything. We have to throw away the Bible and finish with church. If Christ can't put um, restraints and constraints on a human person's sexuality, uh, we don't have a gospel, and we don't have uh, a real, genuine, authentic salvation. A WhatsApp question from Antigua. How should a Christian feel or deal with unsaved friends who are constantly withdrawing themselves from me and oftentimes go as far as labeling me as being too holy or judgmental because of the fact that any advice or anything I say have to line up with the Word of God and I give advice from a biblical perspective? Should I separate my Christianity when it comes to friendships in order to not lose friends? I would say you hold a fort. Uh, be a Christian, whether you are at work, at school, in the military, um, I don't care where you are. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You may be surprised. If you are not belligerent and you're not uh, dealing with it in a, in a way that is offensive, uh, and you are given exactly what the Bible says and you're taking your position on that don't worry about the immediate effect it's the long term effect that you have to think about you're, you're just sowing seeds that once planted in the mind of those people they can't get away from so they might uh, um, say things about you they might you know when I was in school if I might use an illustration when I was in, in uh, secondary school I used to eat lunch very fast and then I would do a Bible club in the in the, in the church in the uh, school. They used to call me little Jesus, all kind of names to demean me, etc. But you know what I discovered? The respect those people really had for me, I didn't understand until later. And when I meet them, they would always remind me of those things. But they were trying to tear me apart for me to stop what I was doing. Uh, look, it's like when you when you have to deal with your child. There's sometimes when you have to be very harsh with your child, and even to discipline your child in terms of using corporal punishment. They're going to cry, they're going to say all kinds of things, but I always tell them, you're going to call me blessed 10 to 15 years from now, so I'm not worried about your crying and your noise. <laughs> you have to look at it in the long term, not the short term. Try to be a Christian and be pleasant, and you can even say, listen, this is this is the biblical view. It might, you know, if you don't want me to share it with you, that's another thing, but if you want really my view on this matter, this is the biblical view, and here it is. I am not concerned whether you uh, reject it or not, but that's the biblical view. Stand up for your faith where you are. We've got too many cowards in the Christian church, and that's why the world is as it is. We do not help people by being like them. We help you by being different from them. And I would say to you, take your stand, and uh, but do it in a pleasant way, non-threatening way, just a clear biblical presentation. Um, hold the fort and be a Christian where you are. Thank you very much for the individual who sent in that question and for all the questions that have come in thus far tonight. We have 10 minutes left in the program. Still enough time for you to send in a question or call quickly. Uh, the phone number to be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 7821454 Pastor anything else you'd like to say in relation to this topic of human artificial insemination 
I think that uh, Christians who are listening, um, I think they need to give some great, great deep thought to this matter because it's going to become a reality at some point in time in your life. And whether or not you're going to meet people who've been born out of that process, whether or not somebody can come to you for advice uh, on, on this matter. And uh, it is a time for you to search the scriptures because there's some other principles that might be there that you might discover that might be helpful uh, to help uh help people in this kind of a situation. Uh, the other thing, Nathan, this has nothing to do with what we talked about, but I want to make a reference to something you, you mentioned while we got this 10 minutes, the matter of the laying of hands. Yeah. Uh, somebody called last week uh, about the laying of hands and uh, people, some person wanted to get them come together for prayer, for fasting, but they're insisting on the laying of hands. And I, I mentioned the danger of that. Uh, and I talk about the matter of transference. Um, what I meant there is is, is, is is this, right? When people are involved in some form of spiritism and some type of evil, uh, there's a connection between that individual and the demonic spirit. And one of the ways that it, it, it goes uh, from one person to another is this, this matter of transferring of laying of hands. That's why I don't like people laying their hands on me, period. I'm talking about religious people, whatever it is. Uh, I know in Guyana, for example, I mentioned some of these African pastors. I hope nobody's offended by my saying that on the radio. But because of the fact that they're from Africa, and most Caribbean people are African origin, they seem to naturally think that everything that they do is okay. But they don't understand the danger that the, some of these African, not all of them, have actually blended Christianity with spiritism and so on and so forth. They're brought to the Caribbean they have been involved in demonic activity, and that's why they put a lot of emphasis on laying on the hands. I know of that situation that in Guyana, uh, and um, the effect of that was very, 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 very. Uh, I don't want to go into details about that matter. So I, I was just saying that you've got to be very, very careful about people laying hands on the. The Bible says, "Don't believe every spirit." Of course, when it says "don't believe every spirit," it doesn't mean that spirits come into you. It's People come into you who have another spirit. That's what it really means. It's, it's don't every person comes and give you some gospel or tell you something. Don't believe it because it's another spirit that's engendering what you're saying. That's what the book is talking about. So they've got to be very, very careful about this idea of people laying on of hands, laying on of hands. Unless I know uh, the person I can trust as another pastor, or why would he want to lay hands on me in the other in any, any case, uh, except when I'm being ordained. Mm-hmm. But uh, so there's a connection between a lot of demonism. And the transference from that individual who's involved to the other person. And that's where Liam and Hans comes in. Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Nathan, go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yes. Hi, I have a question about Genesis 1 to and Revelation 21 and verse 2. Okay, 21 verse 2. Genesis 1 2, you said? Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Genesis 1-2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And what was the verse in Revelation? 21-2. 21-2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Yes, let's deal with uh, the one in, in Revelation chapter 21. That has to do with the celestial city coming down. Um, the, the question is, is it 
coming on just on earth or is it suspended between earth and heaven? That's where the issue comes in. To me, it's immaterial, to be honest, whether it comes down to earth and rest on earth or suspended. But uh, clearly that believers will have access to the uh, city of, new city of Jerusalem, which is what we, we commonly talk, talk about heaven. The, 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 I go and prepare a place for you. Uh, that is my interpretation. But it's, it's the, the, the question of Bible scholars is that it's coming down. Uh, but is it suspended between heaven and earth, or does it come and sit on planet earth? That is where the, 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 the problem comes in. But certainly, um, earth would play a place a part in, the, in the, because of the new heaven and new earth. So humankind will have access to the new earth as well as to the new, new city. So whether that city is on the earth itself or suspended, it could go between earth and heaven. Uh, the Bible seems to be mute about that, and I don't have any um, interpretation other than that. But in either case, we will have access both to earth, the new earth, and to and to the new Jerusalem. The My other one, is sure. In Genesis 1-2, uh-huh. the earth was without form and void. Uh-huh. Now, in Revelation, is that city, uh, the new earth, the new earth rather, uh-huh. not the city, but the new earth, uh-huh. would it be inhabited? Yeah, I believe or that. Or would it not be inhabited? No, I believe it. I I believe that the, 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 what's, what's the use of having it if it's not going to be inhabited? I think that believers who are redeemed will have access both to this new earth and also to the new Jerusalem. That, that's what I think is. In, in terms of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, um, if you read, there's a verse in Isaiah which said, I did not create the earth without form and void. This is where to believe that Satan fell between verse 1 and verse 2 that God created and then there was a chaotic fall as a result of Satan and uh, then you got him reforming what resulted out of the chaos so he brought order out of chaos so the normally would put between Genesis 1 and chapter 2 somewhere the fall of Satan in there that created the chaos on planet earth that's where you got without form and void because in Isaiah I think it is I can't remember the exact verse it says I did not create the heaven without form and void but it became without form and void. That word uh, uh, became as well, seemed to infer that. What the word was, is also became. Nathan, does that help? So then, the new earth would be inhabited. In my judgment, I don't, I mean, the, the Bible doesn't, it's not specific about it, but the because fact there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there's no light, God would be the light, would seem to indicate to me that uh, the earth, the new earth would be completely transformed and believers would have access to the earth and the new Jerusalem. I have no problem with that. Because, uh, new you new know, earth. I would like to be able to move through the stars as well if it were possible. <laughs> the this, the they, new earth, it wouldn't be darkness. No darkness at all. No no, no, no moon. God would be the light of that place. Yeah. As this one we live on was. Right. Completely transformed. There's certain there be no um, there be no sea uh, either by the way. The difference is between the new earth and uh-huh. this earth we live on now uh-huh. is that uh, that this earth was plenished with water. Right, but right. The, the new earth there would be no no sea. Right, that, that's pointed out. Correct. Don't forget that we'll be a completely transformed body, so it's not as though, we, you know, it's a completely, we can't even conceive 
what God has really prepared for them that love Him. Whatever you can think is better than that. Whatever I can think, it is better than that. So uh, the Bible has revealed only so much, and I think to try to speculate only leads us into great trouble and danger. So we've got to leave that exactly where it is. God has revealed to us. We know it's going to be new heaven and new earth. And I believe the reason why there's new heaven and new earth and why we got the new Jerusalem because I think we're going to have access to that. And I, 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 I can see myself, there's so much I want to find out, Nathan, I must tell you. There's so much I want to find out how things operate, why they operate that way. I, I, I read about the atoms sometimes and now I discover, I thought there was only electrons and neutrons and protons. Now I discover there's subatomic particles and stuff like that. And they don't even know if light is a wave or if it is particles. I mean, it's so confusing. So there's so much I would like to know personally myself. So it's going to be a time that we will spend eternity educating ourselves in the ways of God. And uh, I just think that it's going to be something marvelous for us. So let's rejoice in the fact that one day uh, we're in a different world enjoying the presence of God and enjoying His creation. Nathan, thank you very much for your call from the island of Nevis. We appreciate it. Appreciate you listening from there. No matter where you are listening to the program tonight, we are thankful that you have participated and that I trust that you have learned some biblical principles to be able to apply to your life in the future. Pastor Murphy, before we go, uh, what topic would you like to discuss next week? Next week, we are going to look at crime and punishment. Uh, that's the topic we'd like to look at next week. Crime and punishment. So if you have any questions that come up along those lines, or maybe a whole different topic altogether, write them down. Go ahead and send them in to us on WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. God bless you. Have a good evening, and thank you for making the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse your favorite listening station and allowing us to keep you spiritually fed and up to date, up to date with the news. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.